Welcome to Making Bank, the show for Bankless DAO by Bankless DAO, where each week we highlight a project and a personality from inside the Bankless DAO. We want to showcase the work that we do and the people who do it. This is our story as we journey to become more bankless. If you want to learn more about what it is that we do, then just keep listening. We hope you enjoy today's episode of Making Bank. Hi, I'm Drost, and welcome to another episode of Making Bank. Today's guest is known around Discord and the Twitterers as True Cat, or as many also know her, Miss Katrina, or True, or Cat, or, well, you get the idea. IRL, Katrina is an academic librarian from Australia. She joined Bankless DAO in late August of 2021. I have the good fortune to have met TrueCat when she introduced herself in the AV Guild and offered to help manage our media asset database back in late 2021. Today, she's an active contributor in the Writers Guild, an editor for GMN, or Good Morning News, the world's first on-chain newspaper, and probably a dozen other things I don't know about. Welcome, Katrina. It's an honor to get a chance to chat with you today. We have not crossed paths a lot lately, so this is a special treat for me. Thank you, Joyce. It's a special treat for me too. I'm so happy to be here and we won't talk about how long it took to get me here. There was even a Twitter campaign. (laughs) (laughs) There was a Twitter campaign. No pressure, of course, but people have been asking. So before we catch up, uh, let's go ahead and give the listeners a bit of background on you and your journey, if you don't mind. Let's uh, just dig into that a little bit. Great. Sure. So you mentioned that I joined the DAO back in August of 2021. That does seem like a lifetime ago. But at the time, I had just been hearing about various things. NFTs had sort of crossed my radar and DAOs certainly hadn't until I listened to a webinar that was about putting research objects on chain as part of my work. And they, in that webinar, they had some academics from RMIT University in Australia, and they were talking about DAOs. And it just really piqued my interest because they were talking about the sort of the collaboration aspects of DAOs and how people all around the world could be involved and push towards things that they were all sort of interested in as a common goal. And so that really got me interested and I started listening to a podcast called Redefined Life about how to find work in Web3. And I didn't necessarily think that I needed to find work but I just needed to find out how to get involved and they in passing on that podcast somebody mentioned Bankless DAO as one of the DAOs that was doing a great job of of onboarding people and helping people get started and so I started following the Twitter account and I hopped in when I saw a mistake and that seems to have been my path ever since is spotting things that people need to fix. <laughs> That's funny. I did that too. I fixed a typo and yeah. I am. <laughs> yeah. So I spotted there was the Bankless Academy logo competition was on at the time. And I actually entered that comp having done a bachelor of design when I left school and not really ever used it or as a designer anyway. And uh, so I, got into Photoshop for the first time in a long time and did a logo for the competition. And so I was interestedly following the results and I didn't get picked and that was fine, but I saw that actually there'd been a miscount on one of the logos that went into the final. And so I kind of hopped in and pointed that out. And suddenly I was having conversations and joining in meetings and (laughs) waking up in the middle of the night to get involved. And I've been hooked ever since. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting how once you start offering to help out with this or that, and it can be a simp- as simple as noticing that a number is wrong or that a word is out of place, and soon you're on the team. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. If there's people that want to contribute and they're not sure how to contribute, well, do something like that and you'll get plugged in pretty quickly. Somebody will probably comment, hey, thank you. Appreciate you editing that, by the way. Would you yep, like to join us? Yep. Yep. It just takes that first step and then it's, you'll usually find lots and lots of people willing to have you contribute. Well, that speaks also to how people can be successful in DAO space. It's hard because everything's so open-ended and you're not really sure where to start. And there's a lot of tools a lot of us have never used before and navigating new communication tools. But I remember when you first jumped in and you floating a proposal, actually. I think one of the first things you did was floating a proposal for our digital asset media stuff and uh, posting it all over the DAO. And and then you and I started chatting. It's like, hey, would you like to manage this thing that we're kind of already subscribing to? We can allocate some budget to it or something. So, yeah, Yeah, that's kind of... (laughs) I I didn't actually come up with that myself. NF Thinker was one of the very first people I started talking to because of that logo comp issue. And I think it was him that actually suggested to me that, that I write the proposal for the digital asset coordinator role. And so he helped me very early on with that and, you know, gave me the confidence to actually shop it around. Oh, great. <laughs> um, and then I think that. he put me in touch with you as well. And, and because that was sort of coming out of Design Guild, but then obviously AV Guild is also very much a part of, you know, the users of Dash. So, yeah, I think, yeah, NF Thinker was instrumental in my welcome and, and entry into the DAO. And I, I can never thank him enough for how welcoming and wonderful he was. Yeah, that's great. NF, <laughs> NF has been the connection person for a lot of folks coming in. I was right. just chatting with some of the folks amazing. just the other day about the same thing. Yeah. And what I was getting at there is that, that you've come into a couple of places, at least initially, like AV Guild and Design, where maybe you didn't have current knowledge or experience with that. You had some design background. And even in AV, you were saying, hey, you know, I'm not really not a visual person, but I can do, you know, I can write stuff. I can organize. I'm an academic librarian. I can help in these other areas, even though I'm not really, you know, steeped right. in these other disciplines. And I thought that was really great. And I think that's one of the ways people can be successful in DAOs and also try out something different. And it's supposed to be pigeonholed in the same thing you've always done. Definitely. Um, yeah, then, but you can also, you know, you can bring your skills and apply them perhaps in a new way. Yeah, which is exactly what you've done. So I'd kind of like to explore that a little bit, you know, what you were thinking about when you first came in and then your evolution over the last, gosh, it's been over a year now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. all the things that you moved into and your deep involvement with GMN and, and Hero Canelli and those folks, I think that's really, you found your home, it feels like. Definitely, I did. Yeah, I found a niche. And I mean, I joked before about sort of having found the niche of finding mistakes, but (laughs) it kind of is. The attention to detail is what I knew I could bring to the DAO. And that obviously manifests in lots of different ways, whether it's, you know, for AV Guild, I was the secretary for a season following in your wonderful footsteps. And so was able to sort of apply the organisation skills to you know running coordinate and managing the weekly meetings and all of those sorts of things that that role does but then also you know attention to detail can be applied in other ways and I have found a home as an editor which is not something that I envisioned at all when I started and I feel the need to constantly point out to people that I have no formal editor or literature or communications training I have a 
Bachelor of Design, which is visual communication, but that's certainly not about the written word. And so I always sort of feel a little bit of imposter syndrome when people say that I'm a great editor, but I do know that I I read a lot in my own life and having studied at master's level at university and, and then also been a reader all my life and been involved in libraries, I am very, very passionate about clear communication. And so when I read and I edit, I'm really just looking for clarity, how to express the message the best possible way. And so that tends to come out as, you know, I think we could change this to this and I think that this needs to be this way instead. (laughs) Um, And so I end up, you know, editing a lot of work and I'm the lead staff editor for the editorial and publishing arm of the Writers Guild, which is a separate project to the Writers Guild. And then also, as you said, that I've been involved in Good Morning News from about the third day of its existence. <laughs> so I wasn't oh, wow. there I right at the beginning. I didn't realize you joined that early in it. Yeah, I was, yeah, I went across there. For, um, at Hero's Invitation, I went to Good Morning News, yeah, about three days in, I think, two or three days in, and have been editing that daily story ever since. Wow. Uh, they've yeah. been shipping every day, too. Yes, we have shipped every single day. So. I think it's hard enough to ship once a week, and we're I missed the boys about, around McMahon every yeah. day. <laughs> we're up to about 385 issues or something, I think. <laughs> wow. Over yeah. a year of daily shipping. That's right, yeah. And we've coordinated that, you know, between, like, we have we do have writers come in from all over the place. But, so Hero writes a lot of the daily stories, and then it comes to me. In, and it's been quite weird being in the US because usually the story comes to me sort of at 11 o'clock in the morning-ish at, when I'm in Australia. <laughs> but right. here in the US, it's been sort of at four o'clock in the afternoon. So that's been an adjustment. <laughs> well, yeah, today is very unusual for us. You and I are only an hour and a par- apart. And if I wanted to, I could actually drive and meet you <laughs> because you are currently in the state I grew up in. And so I would absolutely love to hang with you, And uh, but it's just not going to happen this time. But no, it's absolutely fantastic. And and yeah, so all these things you're involved in, it really does revolve around writing now. And I'm curious, have your, do you feel like your conviction has deepened or uh, have your priorities shifted at all? I mean, those are kind of related questions. Questions, but this, I'm always curious how people's journey kind of evolves over time, and especially some of the challenges we've faced in the last few months with both token price and just the popular media things kind of imploding that were questionable to start with. It has been challenging at times. It's always a challenge fitting the DAO work around my full time job. It was a challenge when I discovered that I really had not kind of thought through the tax implications of earning bank, especially when the bank price dropped and I therefore had sort of earned more money than I you know, wanted to pay tax on. Right. <laughs> and so those things were definitely moments where I had to reassess whether I really wanted to keep going. But ultimately, I am very committed to what the DAO stands for. And I really, really enjoy the time that I spend with people from all over the DAO. And I love the feeling of you know, the, being part of this team, this global team, I think it's just so important what we're trying to achieve. And I'm the first to say I'm not like a huge crypto trader. I earn my bank and I kind of move some stuff around every so often, but I'm really not out there on, you know, DEXs and, and DEX aggregators and pools and all of those sorts of things that I edit articles about. I tend to just jump into those sorts of things quite slowly. So I'm 
still a lot, I still have a lot to learn in terms of what crypto can offer. But I think blockchain, blockchain is what I'm interested in and its broader applications. It's what got me interested in the first place. The academics that I listened to in the webinar talked about how blockchain is really about trust and that, you know, they had worked out in their, through their research that trust is a $30 trillion industry worldwide. And so if blockchain just disrupts a small proportion of that, it's still a massive, massive industry. And so that was really what got me interested in, about the application of blockchain beyond crypto. And I know that going bankless is all about the financial aspect, but for me, I think going bankless is also all about sort of using the technology that is at our fingertips to improve a whole lot of other things. So I'm quite interested in ReFi. That's the article that I wrote for because publishing so far my one and only article, but hopefully there'll be more. And I'm really interested in what we can do in terms of social and environmental applications of blockchain. I'd like to dig into that a bit. This really ties into the kind of future we'd like to see. And I think you and I have a similar take there. I don't, I think this may surprise people. I think if you look at the Bankless DAO membership, and I don't have data to support this, but I would argue that just based on anecdotal stories and conversations that there's a lot of the membership that doesn't do that stuff. Right. You know, they're not heavily involved in token swaps and trying to leverage and do token farming and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I never really got into it because I didn't understand it. The thing is, if you don't understand something, you probably shouldn't be participating in it. Right. And the fact that I didn't understand it and I didn't participate kept me from losing a whole lot of money. And so I think, you know, part of what we do here is education and, or a big part of it. And, you know, you'd mentioned about the ethos here is quote, go bankless. And it means more than just finance. And it is a bit of a challenge given the name. Mm. I think a lot of people are here for the very reason you said, more interested in the capabilities and possibilities for blockchain aside from the financialization of it, really more about incentives and changing those structures. You talked about refi or or regenerative finance. This is a a term that's become somewhat popularized in the last year or so with Kevin Iwaki, largely from Gitcoin and and this idea of changing the economic model. So I really resonate with that too. But, you know, what are some of those? Do you maybe want to touch on that a bit as to things that that are really resonating with you or or pieces of that that seem like they may be more viable than others? Or I don't know, just where you want to Dig yeah, into I think, what you're really I mean, passionate about. To go back to what you said about, you know, going bankless being broader. Yeah, I, for me it is broader and I, you know, I think it's more so that the banks possibly stand in for all of the big institutions, including governments who have just had far too much power for far too long and aren't doing right by the planet that for me that's the bottom line and when i say the planet i mean the environment but i also mean our human society and you know there's so much inequality in the world and there's so much destruction and um, it seems like just evil and it seems that being a large institution allows you to get away with that and so I, yeah, my passion for blockchain is around the fact that it allows people to organise around a common cause and actually design systems that feed back into the common good. And that's, 
for me what I want to see more of in crypto technology and blockchain technology. I want to see, you know, people organising around, and there's so much of that in, in the Gitcoin grants. If you go looking, so many little projects that are really looking at a local level to work out what it is that, you know, their local community needs and then feeding that back in so that people contributing to the system also then benefit from the system. And I just wish that governments and, you know, local councils and things could actually see how much benefit can be got from having people passionately involved in contributing to something because they then also benefit from it. But also we need, you know, the environment to benefit from it too. And there's no point in doing those sorts of things if they end up debilitating the planet and the environment that we live in. So we need to really be thinking holistically. And I'm still learning all about this, but I just, I find myself inspired every time I think about that kind of holistic thinking. And that was one of the articles that I wrote for the cohort was around that kind of systems thinking. I only just touched on it, but I would love to learn more. Yes. It seems that a lot of our systems are designed as extractive. In fact, yeah. I mean, that is the design, that's the point, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all these middlemen. Yeah, it's working for them. <laughs> it's working for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as we've seen things kind of implode in shady operations, again, you get back to trust and why mm-hmm. trust is so important. Well, when you see like the recent, and I won't get into that a lot, but we see the recent blow up. What blew up was not decentralized finance and code. That's not what it was. It was people lying about their assets and others believing them and loaning them more money. That's really the bottom line and hiding thing, having whether it's two sets of books or whatever. And that's what we're trying to get away from. Yeah. You know, humans are inherently fallible. And so that's why when we design something, a system that actually works on all of those different levels and you know is not extractive it is actually adding value at all different points for everybody involved it almost designs out some of that fallibility because we can actually do the right thing because it works for us and it's not really an effort <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to do the right thing and it rewards us but also the act of doing the thing whatever it is also rewards us at its own level And then all of that is just enhanced by, you know, blockchain record keeping essentially being transparent and able to be trusted because of the immutability. Then we end up with quite a well-protected system in terms of attacks from people who want to behave the wrong way. And I think that's really the appeal of using the tech to support that kind of sustainable system is that we can keep it honest, (laughs) keep the bastards honest, as the Aussies say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and it it, it all comes back to human behavior. It really Mm -hmm. does. Mm. And we've talked about this on other episodes, other conversations. I know Justice, Xerox Justice talks a lot about incentive engineering and incentivizing things correctly. And there's been a lot of conversation about that. I just had a conversation with Ice Cool about tokenomics and how we're trying to structure things for long-term incentive at Bankless DAO and, you know, obviously staying within the regulatory framework that's acceptable and that's hard when it's a moving target. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So how do you align and reward people for their activity? I mean, this is a constant, this is an ongoing problem, not just 
It is. And that's one of the other, that's, I think that was the same article I actually wrote for the writer's cohort was around incentive design and how it can go wrong. And I, cause I'd come across the example of the cobra effect, which is basically in, in colonial India, the authorities, British authorities decided that there were too many cobras. And so they decided to put out a bounty for, for cobras. And so anyone turning up with a dead cobra could be paid a bounty. What they didn't really think about was that then the locals started actually breeding cobras. Breeding cobras, right. Um, of course, of for, course they would. <laughs> for the bounty, specifically to claim the bounty. And so then they ended up, you know, obviously saying, well, that's no good. We're not going to do that anymore. But that rebounded on them badly because then everybody who had been breeding the cobras actually then released them into the wild because they were no longer needed for their business. And now you have your cobra <laughs> and so problem. Now you have, well, and increased, in fact. Worse. worse. <laughs> so it bit them in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, literally. is this a language warning? They literally <laughs> bit them in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So, and that was fascinating to me how just such an obvious example of, you know, in hindsight, it's obvious. I don't know whether I would have thought of it up front if I was in that position, but it's fascinating to me how, you know, you really have to have hindsight when you're designing incentives <laughs> to figure out how people might gain them and how people, you know, could end up sort of sending them on the wrong path. And, you know, is it actually going to pay the benefits that you think it's going to pay? Yeah. Yeah. And often even with the best of intentions, once you implement, it's like game theory, you know, you have this idea of how people might behave and then you release it in the wild and people going to do what people going to do. <laughs> and you scratch your head and you're like, oh, well, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, they play this out on reality TV. I mean, that's right. what makes those shows so popular. They have these prisoners dilemma games and stuff and then the person has to go back to the team and either tell them the truth about what happened or you know who knows what they're doing and you see how these things break down really quickly yeah <laughs> yeah and it can destroy you know probably not so much the example that we use but yeah if you behave in a certain way and then you know it backfires you need to then have the courage to be accountable for that and that you know is something challenging for everybody is there's embarrassment and fear and shame involved and so I think that's one of the things in the Tao too that you know we can probably improve on is just creating a culture where it's okay to say that something went wrong and understand that that's part of the learning journey and that you know nobody really has the intention to do wrong by others in the group it's usually just fallibility and you know it comes back to that that human failing <laughs> none of us are perfect yeah there's a lot of philosophical discussions around this too because there are some communities that actually aren't organized that way <laughs> where the whole point is to extract from the other person i don't know any that i would want to be involved in but no. you know they're gaming each other and that's accepted and that's what they agree to do that's not a system i'm want to particularly live in but and then no. you extrapolate that to the broader planet right you listen to some of these longer conversations some of the thinkers and stuff and i've in this marina man i go on the show i don't know but I, you know the cultural wealthy you know the billionaires the people that can basically buy and sell and do anything they want so two things one something about it changing their brain chemistry mm -hmm. and secondly there's this set of people that have enough 
money and power and access, that they don't think we can solve this. They're trying to front run it by building their own bunkers, creating their own private enclaves, all this to separate themselves from the other 8 billion of us. And I don't know what kind of fantasy world they're living in where they think they can outrun the planet we live on. <laughs> and that we're Maybe they think gonna... they're getting on board the ship first. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whatever ship you comes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. but that's a separate conversation. Yeah. But, you know, like, yeah, that, that is why I like being part of Bankless DAO. It's because I find that people generally come into the DAO with a very honest, open attitude of, I mean, most, if you read most of the intro in the Get Involved channel, most of them are like, I'm so happy to be here and I'm so ready to learn. Um, yes. And whether that's a, you know, a, a cliche, this is how I need to introduce myself, so I'll just do that even if I don't mean it, or whether it's actually a genuine sentiment, it doesn't really matter because they're expressing it and they know that coming into the DAO, they do have a lot to learn. I mean, if you just look at the amount of Discord channels, you know that you have a oh, lot yeah. to learn. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, let's talk about that for a second. You're going back to your beginning and you were new to the space and everything. And I, you know, you and I were both pretty new at the same time. I mean, I come in a few months before and, uh, but we we're kind of finding our way together. I knew a little bit more just because I'd been around a while and I knew where all the channels were and stuff, but that didn't mean I knew what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm just kind of curious if, you know, thinking back to when you came in and then if you were a new person coming in today, how would you approach it today? What would you just say to a new joiner or somebody that's curious wanting to come in and may be afraid, you know, a little overwhelmed, maybe the, yeah, whatever it is. What is your advice today, given everything you've been involved in and how you've seen new joiners come in and drop off? And oh people gosh, either that's actually a really hard question. I, know. I think, you know, one, one great thing that didn't exist when I joined is the new joiners session that's run regularly and then all of the education sessions that education now department are running on how to discord and how to sesh and how to all of those other you know how to use your bank and all of those sessions are really great to get involved with and don't require necessarily any kind of involvement in any project or guild to take part in it's you know you could literally just do that <laughs> um, yeah, show up and learn. To, to start with but certainly for me because i kind of went straight to design guild i didn't really have to think too hard about where else to read and get involved with and i did find my way to writers guild i don't know exactly when i think it was around the same time because i was definitely interested in writers guild right from the beginning but i sort of made that start in design and av first and then once I got across to Writers Guild and decided that I had the courage to take the editing test as it was then, you know, naturally found a home. But I think for a new joiner, just starting to get involved in the general channels and then just, you can't break Discord. <laughs> so there's no harm in just picking up the tag for whatever you're interested in and just going and lurking. You don't even have to say hello. You can just go read the channels. Right. And I did that for the first time. couple months. Yeah, like so there's no real kind of imperative that you have to jump into the Discord and immediately start doing something. You can just sort of take your time and read and learn who's who and maybe then, you know, join a meeting if the timing works. And as I've said, the timing didn't really work for me, but I did it anyway. And I did actually find 
I don't recommend waking up at three in the morning to I was join me. I'm, you know, I'm always really impressed by, you are an international organization and I think it's about slightly less than half or I think US based. Right. I don't know the numbers now, but man, for those of you that are in these other time zones that, I'll tell you what, if I had to get up at three o'clock in the morning to attend a meeting, I don't know if I'd still be here, quite honestly. Yeah. I don't do well with that. And to do it week after week, I know, I don't think I could do it. So I just, I really, hats off to to people that you, it just shows that shows commitment in and of itself. It's like, look, you're, you know, not only are people doing their regular full-time job, have families, whatever, trying to get on with their day, but they're also trying to explore this space and figure out if it's going to be the new world of work or new way that they can contribute, or even if nothing else, it's social. That's one of the things we've also found. And if you look at the net promoter score survey that we've been doing, mm -hmm. the consistent thing month after month after month of this survey is regardless of what else is happening with the market or the token price or this or that, the community is why people are stuck around. It's helped me. I know that. And doing this podcast helps me too. Yeah. yeah. The connections, you know, as I said earlier, the connection immediately with NF Thinker was so kind and so helpful and couldn't say thank you enough <laughs> um, yeah. to cover, you know, the fact that he just made me feel so welcome. And then developing, you know, personal connections with people in Writers Guild, it just meant that I knew I was valued and I wanted to stay for that reason. And so it is really hard. Wait, and I don't often wake up at three in the morning, usually the ones at four or five are the ones that oh, I well, can you know, do better at. And it's really hard. And just, just to make sure you understand, I don't get up. I, I lie in bed and listen to the meeting. But certainly, you know, it, it is a big commitment and it is quite hard sometimes. And it's hard knowing that you've missed a meeting where something happened, you know, where decision was made or, or you know, particular role was given out or something like that. It, that's very difficult for people who can't attend the meeting. And then sometimes when the discussion goes in the direction, and it has sort of stopped going that direction now, but there was a while where people were starting to say, well, meeting attendance, you know, is a sign of being active in a guild. And that's just not okay because, you know, there are a whole proportion of people who just can't attend meetings. You know, they may have a job where they can't sleep, walk through the day. <laughs> <laughs> oh. right 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 or their heads down their heads down like developer or whatever or like like i used to attend a lot more meetings than i do now so yeah so getting better at getting better at async communication but also you know recording not i don't mean literally recording but recording of what has what the decisions that have been made are and you know capturing the main points of a discussion and we have notion for that and we have you know, no reason not to use Notion to be able to take whatever notes and screenshots and recordings are necessary. I am also part of the Notion work stream. You mentioned that you didn't know everything I do. <laughs> so <laughs> I am part of that work stream as well. And I, you know, that also kind of links back to the fact that I'm passionate about communication and record keeping and clarity. And so for me, Notion is the tool that we have that can be our source of truth and our knowledge base. And I really want everybody to get a little bit better at actually recording things that happen in Notion so that we have something to look back on. Because this is part of my role as a librarian too. I've been a data librarian, which I support researchers in looking after their research data that underpins their findings. And 
we always think when we look at something that we'll remember how that went and why we did something and what actually happened. But it really doesn't take long till we forget. Yeah. And so, you know, making that time at the time that things happen to actually make the notes and document the decision is really important when you need to look back on it later. Yeah, you know, Notion is one of those, it's a Web 2 tool, and there's some Web 3 things that are kind of work in a similar way, but they're not nearly as full-featured yet, at least in most cases. Notion's a great tool. I mean, one of the challenges with it, though, is because it is so general purpose, and it's so flexible, that it does take a little bit of getting your head around it to start with. And there's some great tutorials out there. And I will mention the Notion Ninja course that Ernest mm -hmm. developed in conjunction with some others at BDAO. And you earn a go through the course. Uh, you basically go watch some videos that already exist online. Thomas Frank is one of them. He's one of the one of the best Notion teachers out there. People probably familiar with his name. But there's a number of them. But anyway, a couple of courses here. You get your Notion Ninja Pow app or badge. That's it's an NFT. It's not even a yes. Pow app. It's even better. It's an NFT. And then if you read the little description stories that are associated with each ninja, then I actually wrote those. <laughs> oh, you did. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me of the other thing that you did. That was Cat's Corner, where you were doing the little shout outs with background on different beta members. And yeah, that was kind of I a, really a limited that. campaign. That was really cool. Yeah. Let me talk about you. that a little bit. Thank you. That was, yeah, that was because I edit the weekly roll up newsletter and have been doing so for about a year. And so I. I decided that I wanted a little segment where we got to know Bankless Down members a little better. And I kind of made it a little bit whimsical. And so one of the questions was about what their favorite flavor of ice cream is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so that was sort of the graphic that I put up the top of the se segment in the newsletter and asked them what their favorite NFT is and what their favorite DeFi platform is. And then I think where they'd like to travel was another one and how perhaps their aspirations had changed from before joining the DAO and then after joining the DAO. I got some good responses, but unfortunately those trickled out and so I had to stop doing it. So I've stopped that now, but I will revive it anytime anybody <laughs> is interested in keeping it going, but I ran out of responses. Yeah, cool. No, those are great little products. You know, that's another example of something you can just spin up yourself and, uh, and see how it goes. Yeah, and then you're learning how to use the tools. That's the other thing I want to touch on. You know, whether you're taking the Notion Ninja course and learning how to use it for note keeping within Bankless DAO or helping out on a team, those are skills that transfer everywhere. Definitely. I mean, these skills we're learning are so powerful. And I don't care whether you've been in business before, if you're just getting out of college. Man, working with these tools every day and working with other people and seeing how things break, seeing best practices, learning what doesn't work. I mean, those are all transferable skills, no matter where you go, what you do, who you're working with, even if it's in other DAOs or other projects. So this is not a wasted effort. And you're getting rewarded for doing it, for learning, too. So I, to me, it's a win-win. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I've been in the workforce a long time and I see some of the skills that people are picking up, you know, right out of college here in the Dow. And I just think they're so lucky to be exposed to this huge amount of, you know, shared experience and expertise that it's an incredible opportunity for anybody to just invest in themselves, you know, to come along and take part in whatever we're doing simply to listen in on a meeting discussion. I remember actually commenting to a couple of my friends very early on that I had never <laughs> attended a meeting in my work life 
like the ones in the Dow. I was so impressed about how well they were run and how collegial everybody was and how enthusiastic everybody was. And it certainly was eye-opening for me after a couple of decades in the workforce to hear people passionate about what they were doing and contributing to a meeting in a way that made it fun to attend. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, there's nobody telling us how to do things. Yeah. Or there's no established norms for stuff. Yeah, we bring our own, in some cases, baggage, but <laughs> we bring our own experience and our own background. And, you know, things that, there are things that work from our prior life. It's like, oh, you know that, you know, don't throw that out. You know, you know yeah. quite honestly, that works pretty damn well. <laughs> and, you know, those things are useful. And then also exploring the new spaces. And man, I'm with you. The talented people that are in here and you listen to their backgrounds, like, you did what? And you're here now. And you're, what? It's just such an opportunity to learn from talented people from all kinds of disciplines. And, and I, this is something I like to bring up too, is don't be afraid to ask questions because I pretty much guarantee everybody has the same question, especially in a new space where it's not well understood or you don't understand a term. And I think people throw out terms trying, maybe not trying to sound like they know what they're talking about, but throw out terms because they've heard them and we don't, and I'm included, don't necessarily fully understand what that means. Mm. And, and then pulling back and saying, wait a minute, let's unpack that a little bit. What is it we're really talking about here? Definitely. And because also people can use a term, you know, they think that there's a shared understanding of what that term means and in fact you could be carrying very different definitions of that so it's always a good idea to you know have the conversation up front about really just pinning down the meaning of some of the terms that that are going to define an activity and so just you know having those conversations up front rather than arriving at the understanding halfway through that you're actually on different pages can be beneficial Right. I think one of the other challenging, you know, it's challenging enough given that we're behind a screen, we're working asynchronously, sometimes hopping in the same meeting, but we're never really in the same physical room together. And then you throw in cultural differences, language barriers, and trying to get on the same understanding of a subject or a a discussion point. I mean, yeah, it's not easy. I mean, it's exciting and it's, and when it works, it's great. And meeting people from all over the world is just, to me, that's incredible it's not the icing it's the core of the thing (laughs) yeah it's incredible and that that you know we keep coming back to it but the relationships that you build with people for me it's definitely why i've stayed because some of those other challenges have have been you know possible reasons to go (laughs) but the relationships with people like yourself that i greatly respect means that i'm not walking away i was very proud to become a level two i can't remember exactly when it was about six weeks I think or maybe that was level one but anyway it was a couple of months into my Dow life that I was nominated as a level two and I was so proud because I knew I was joining a group of people who you know strongly represented Bankless Dow and the community spirit and the you know the the spirit of, of contributing and I really wanted to be a part of that and I still want to be a part of that every day. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, you give a lot of feedback, and this is great. I've noticed in various conversations, you'll jump in and you'll say, hey, wait a minute. I don't know that we're talking about the same thing here, or here's my take on it. And I think maybe we need to think about this a little differently. And you've been really good about that, not just saying, yeah, fine, whatever, or just not saying anything. Even when they can be possibly 
uncomfortable conversations or something that would be easier to still agree. And I think you've been really, really good about that and coming at it from a place of helpfulness and understanding cooperation. It's never meant to be anything other than that. We need to be honest with each other, but do it in a way that respects the person. And I just feel like you've done and continue to do a great job of that, which also helps in your task as being involved in editing, whether it's Bankless Publishing or the newsletter or what have you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate the positive feedback. I I always try to be authentic and honest in my interactions with people. I am the first to point out my own flaws before anyone else can. And so I... Beat them to the punch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, so I very much understand that, you know, that nobody's perfect and everybody, you know, carries, I mean, you mentioned baggage before, but everybody carries their own set of vulnerabilities. And for me... Sharing those vulnerabilities up front means that I don't have, I'm not a poker player. (laughs) I don't have, I don't have the skill to pretend that everything's cool and I'm fine with stuff when I'm not. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, you know, approach all of the things that I do with that kind of authentic honesty because I don't really know how to do it otherwise. (laughs) And so I just, you know, I just try to be honest and upfront about what I'm thinking and feeling and present that in a way that, you know, I try not to be confrontational. I don't always succeed, but, you know, I just try to kind of be vulnerable up front. And that, I think, creates a space for other people to then also, you know, share their own vulnerability. And that way we can all be accountable because I find that, you know, bluster and bluff (laughs) tends to be at odds with accountability and so I think we can all kind of you know if we all approach things just with a little bit of humility then it becomes easier to kind of find out where the downfall was or is and then make it better because that's ultimately what I'm looking for is a lot of people kind of say to me you're always pointing out what could go wrong (laughs) and I don't do that because I'm a pessimist I do that because I want to find out what the obstacles might be and how we can get around them I'll put well put. <laughs> Thank you. It's okay to change your approach and, and to, you know, to learn and, and discover that perhaps your point of view was not well enough informed. Um, exactly. And and then having the, the courage to admit that, um, you know, and hopefully in a, in a space that, you know, forgives and forgets <laughs> that perhaps right. you misspoke on something. I know the do your own research thing is a bit of a disclaimer that says oh well if something happens it's your own fault Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that's not quite fair either because there are things that are rather obscure and quite frankly if you don't understand them you should probably stay away from them and if it's something you're really interested in get plugged into the working group or whatever and you can explore and learn before you get wrecked really for sure but again, I, I go back to the stuff that you talked about, which is the the broader issue, not the financialization of things, but how we can use blockchain technologies for other use cases. Mm. Yeah. I edited an article that Sam wrote for Bankless Card about Web3 usability. And we had a good time sort of thinking about the ways in which Web3 flummoxes people. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's true that... There are so many Web3, I guess, gateways that you can go and land on. And the only button that is there is sort of connect your wallet. But you don't have any context 
given to you beforehand on those things. You have to have somehow done the research around that to, to know that when you connect that wallet to that site, you already have the trust because, <laughs> because there's not often any information or context given that, that makes helps you understand exactly what's going to happen when you click that button. So I'm forever kind of coaching in Bankless Publishing <laughs> because we've just launched a site that will be a bank per view for the articles that we have there. And I'm forever sort of coaching that we need to explain what happens when you connect your wallet. You can't just have a connect button there and expect somebody to click it. Right. If we're truly trying to onboard people who are new to crypto and Web3, then we need to hold their hand. And that's what we try and do in the articles that we publish. You know, we always include sort of links to definitions of things so that people can go off and figure out what that thing is that's being discussed outside of the context of the article. But also in our um, uh, websites and things that we are developing um, across the DAO, we need to be conscious of the fact that somebody who is new to this space is going to be naturally cautious and uh, a little bit scared <laughs> of clicking sure. buttons and um, and connecting wallets. Um, and so, you know, that's if they've got as far as even getting a wallet. So perhaps we need a little button to say, if you haven't got a wallet, here's why you need one and what you'll be able to do with it. You know, those sorts of things. We're just thinking about somebody who's new rather than assuming that everybody understands what they're doing. We do. Right. <laughs> Right. And I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we still have a long way to go. And yeah, I mean, people like you and Ernest, I mean, you know, Ernest of Gaia, you know, he's always in water cooler and other places and doing a lot of informational sessions. And you had mentioned new joiners before. They actually do that via Zoom meeting now. So you see people's faces if you choose to turn on your camera. They didn't used to do that back when I joined. And so, yeah, things are evolving and a lot of folks are really trying to learn and teach each other. So, yeah, this has been really great, True Cap. Um, was there anything else you wanted to touch on uh, before we wrap today? We will include your socials and stuff, True Cat, number 1933 in Discord. And on Twitter, you're just True Cat, T-R-E-W-K-A-T. We'll put that in the show notes. Okay. Anything else that's top of mind with you that you'd like to make sure people either link to or remember? I, on our way I don't think so. I mean, I, I think we've gone all over the place today. Yeah, we have. We have. Um, we'll see how structured it ends up being. <laughs> there's probably a hundred things that I should have mentioned that, that I haven't. But most of all, I... I would encourage people to, uh, anybody interested in developing their writing skills to come along to Writers Guild. Um, we're doing some great things in Writers Guild to try and upskill everybody and improve our writing and editing. Tomahawk is the education coordinator this season for Writers Guild and is doing live editing sessions with me and some of the other editors. And we actually kind of pick apart a piece of writing and, and edit it in real time. And that's really fun. And, and we welcome everybody to come along and listen in and, and contribute as well. We don't consider ourselves the, <laughs> the sole authorities on, on the communication that's there. So um, there's a lot of good stuff happening in Writers Guild if, as well as the Writers Cohort, which we've touched on a couple of times. And, and I know you've done an episode all about. So... What I'm sort of getting at, getting at is that even if you don't consider yourself an established writer, but you feel like you'd like to, then there are opportunities in Writers Guild to get started with that. 
um, with writing small pieces for the newsletter and so on. So I encourage everyone to come along. But I also just am glad that where anybody wants to contribute in anywhere in the Dow, I'm happy to have them. Well, that's fantastic. I think it's a great note to end on. I know people have been waiting for this episode <laughs> to hear from you. So God knows why. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we've finally done it. And, um, you know, there's lots and lots of stuff we can talk about. And, uh, of course, welcome back anytime. And uh, we'll dig into some of these other things as they become top of mind or or whatever if people want to dig into stuff so yeah i need to jump into the writers guild again there's a channel in there that is pretty fun it i just started looking at it it's the writer's playground and yeah. you were doing something recently which is trying to make the worst sentences you can yeah. and with with autocorrect it's pretty hard and you it got is. all the words misspelled it's pretty funny <laughs> yes i had to override the autocorrect many times just to write one sentence <laughs> <laughs> so you are a pretty playful group and and it is a great way to upskill and and um, so yeah definitely jump in if you're interested at all you don't don't have to write you maybe just kind of look and listen and and absorb to start with but um, definitely. lots of places yeah. to get plugged in thank you for walking me through this i was very nervous but i appreciate you making it so much fun oh yeah this has been great again thanks a lot uh true cat and um, i welcome. do hope we see one another in person one of these days maybe i'll thank hop you. in the car and get on that eight hour drive <laughs> before you go across the ocean again <laughs> you've got two weeks <laughs> <laughs> all right and if we don't talk have a great holiday and we'll see you in the new year and that's a wrap thanks for listening this has been making bank a production at bankless dow if you'd like to learn more about bankless dow please visit bankless.community on the web for more information and how to get started and of course if you like what we're doing please like subscribe and follow on your favorite podcast platform